here recording Lost in the Woods. We are doing episode 11, which is part two to episode 10 that we did last week. Yes. So if you haven't listened to episode 10, I recommend you go back and listen to it. I guess you could start here. You could, but you'll you'll feel better about the information you're equipped with if you start with last week's episode. So last week, episode 10, uh, the Trailside Killer, part one, and then today is going to be part two. So if you didn't listen to last week, pop on back and listen to that one before you start this one. Um, yeah, and thanks to everybody that listened last week. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, we did get out last week and do an overnight backpacking trip, which was amazing. Yes, it was nice. It was- I was cold. <laughs> So I have a Z-Pax duplex tent, you guys, which holds technically two people. Usually I use it when I'm backpacking alone and I have my bag and all my stuff in there. I kind of prefer that. But in a pinch, I can fit two extra kids in there. Uh, I was not one of those Madison was not kids. one of them. And I ended up with three kids in there because the, one of the other kids was so cold that they climbed into the tent in the middle of the night. So I was in one tent, a, a very small backpacking lightweight tent and I had three children with me and then Madison was the only good child that stayed in her hammock I I did have a zero degree sleeping bag but that only does so much well she was kind of over her only hammock was over the water yeah her only treat option was kind of over the water because her 14 year old sister was like in the better spot the warmer spot, even though she didn't last at all. I, I did have a bug net, though, so that was nice. Yeah, yeah. Madison, net. she won the bug net in the uh, paper, rock, scissors, or rock, paper, scissors. I say it wrong, apparently. It's yeah. not paper, rock, scissors. I don't know who taught you that. That's how I've always said it, and my mm-hmm. children are like, Mom, it's rock, paper, scissors, and I'm like, what difference does it make? Well, we can make a poll. And it's apparently, rock, paper, scissors. Apparently, it makes a difference, which I think is ridiculous. It's not paper, rock, scissors. But how did all of my children learn rock, paper, paper, scissors when I've only known paper, rock, scissors. I, don't I think know. you made it up. I don't know. I'm Maybe I made it up. Let me know. Does anybody else say paper, rock, scissors? Am I crazy? I might be crazy. Anyway, so back to the case. So David Carpenter was a serial killer that terrorized the Bay Area for decades, basically. In our last episode, we really went into his childhood, his upbringing, and what, what made him... So when we left off last, it was May 21st, 1979, and David had just been released from serving his seven-year sentence plus his two years for probation violation, which is not enough time for all of us that heard about last week. And he was sent, basically he was sent to a halfway house to start out his career as a free man. David had been out of jail for a few months and had recently been allowed to leave his halfway house and was allowed to move in with his elderly parents. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I'm not sure that elderly parents are going to be the best, like, eyes on somebody, I guess. I mean, a couple months in a halfway house does not seem like a reasonable amount of parole time. 
I mean, he's still on parole when he moves in with his parents, but still, I, I just don't know about that. On Sunday, August 19th, 1979, keep in mind, this is three months after David is released from jail. So Ida Kane, who's 40 years old and is a hiking enthusiast, she decided to go out hiking. She tried to hike with a friend that day, but nobody she knew was able to go, which happens to me sometimes where I'm like, oh, I really want to go hiking this weekend. And then I can't find anybody because everybody says they want to be a hiker and everybody says they want to go hiking with you. But when it actually comes down to them actually going, it it doesn't work out most of the time. Actually having to walk up a mountain. Yeah, like actually having to walk up a mountain. Exactly. So she was unable to find anybody to go hiking with her. So she decided to go on her own. She waved goodbye to her husband and she headed out. So she decided to hike Mount Tamapias. We'll probably just call it Mount Tam from here on out. That's what most people call it anyway. And that was the last time her husband saw her. She was reported missing by her husband and her car was found still in the parking lot. Uh, Another one of those. I just, can you imagine? So her husband headed straight to where her car was and started searching. So at 1.30 in the afternoon, searchers with a police dog came across Edith's body under some heavy tree cover. She was about one mile east of the mountain theater on Mount Tam, 60 feet from the nearest trail. Yeah, so this particular mountain has like a, a theater, like an amphitheater type setup. There's like a stage and then there's like some seating area around it. So That's like cool. there could potentially be like a concert in this area or, or something like that. I want to go to a concert in the mountains. I know. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool? It's pretty low on the mountain from what I understand. Like it's not far from the parking lot, but pretty cool that it has this area, but it does come into play later on as well. So this is, this part's a little rough, but she was found naked and face down. Her position suggested that she may have been kneeling when she was shot. Um, police believe that she may have even been forced to beg for her life. This is a theory that comes up multiple times throughout this case, which I think would add to the control aspect of this killer, right? Yeah. We talked about that a lot in the first case, that control is very important to him. She was shot once in the back of the head. None of her clothes were found there. The killer took $10 from her wallet along with credit cards and her glasses. He took no jewelry from her, though, so she was still wearing all of her jewelry. There were no signs of sexual assault in this case. So a forty-four caliber revolver was the murder weapon in this case, and that becomes important later on. Witnesses out hiking that day helped with composite sketches of men who were acting weird on the trail. This would actually hurt the case, not help the case, which that happens sometimes when... You have multiple witnesses and they're giving different accounts of what they saw based on just how they thought somebody was behaving on the trail. And it may not even be related to the actual killer. Yeah. Or may not be accurate either. At all. That can happen. But then you run the risk of not catching somebody if you don't get that information out there. So it's kind of a really hard thing to balance. This was the very first murder on Mount Tam. It was also around this time that one of his parents' neighbors reported their 44 caliber revolver missing. Yeah, that's weird, right? Strange. Such a strange coincidence. Hmm. Sunday, October 21st, 1979, Mary Bennett was stabbed while jogging in Lincoln Park near Land's End in San Francisco. She was stabbed over 25 times. 
So she was found buried in a shallow grave behind a nearby golf course. Like, she was barely covered. Yeah, just, like, some dirt and twigs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then that same evening, David was seen in the emergency room of Mary in general, and he had cuts on his left thumb and other cuts on his hand with dirt, like, ground into them. Almost like he buried a body. Or, and maybe stabbed somebody, I don't know. I don't know. But he claimed that he was attacked by a dog while hiking. Yeah, I feel like an emergency room should be able to tell the difference between a knife wound and a dog bite, personally. You would think. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. I'm, I'm surprised I that... I'm no, not a doctor. I think now there's actually laws in place about reporting, like gunshot wounds, knife wounds, things like that. Back then, there might not have been. DNA was collected, but the murder of Mary Bennett would actually not be connected to David until 2009. Granted, the MO is different, right? Yeah. She's jogging in a park. This had to have been like a crime of opportunity. Yeah. Where I think that... he just happened to be like out blowing off steam, walking around and was like, oh. Oh, I'll just go murder this girl. Maybe I'll feel better if I stab somebody 25 times. So in February of 1980, Carpenter is now 49. He, he gets a job selling and refilling keychain stands. It's a, weird, a, job. a I know. weird job. Why are there keychain stands? But, uh, I don't, I don't, I've never seen a, well, but, I saw keychain stands in like Paris and stuff. Like, Well, yeah, like tour, is that what he's doing? Me, I mean, he's in San Francisco. Yeah, maybe so. it's like touristy. We, I guess we did see that when we were in San yeah, Francisco. I, yeah. Okay. But I don't, is that someone, does, do people really have that as like their yeah, only I, job? I guess so, yeah. So it's not like shop to shop, it's like someone goes through I guess they all have, like, the same keychain. They do all have the... Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Okay. Weird. Yeah. Okay. So, David worked for very kind and trusting people. Which does play a role in some of his activities later on. So, he kept up on his parole, and he was diligent in proving that he was straight and narrow. Yeah, on the straight and narrow. He's, like, checking in. He's proving that he's working. He's doing what he's... He's being a good little, little parole boy. He's yeah. not... He's not throwing up any red flags or anything like that. Well, of course, when you're murdering people, you don't want to throw up red flags. Yeah, I mean, probably a good call. Saturday, March 8, 1980, a woman went for a hike on Mount Tam. It was around 5.30 p.m. when she heard a dog bark. She was actually kind of startled by this and turned to look in the direction that she had heard the dog barking, which was about... She said she she thinks like 65 feet. She turned towards the direction of the sound and she saw a man approaching a woman. They were about 65 feet away. She froze as she saw the man lift his left hand. She watched in horror as he stabbed the woman repeatedly. She says that she was screaming and like trying to like get like make her presence known. Yeah. Maybe in hopes to distract him or something, but he didn't even seem to notice her. The woman fell to the ground. The man turned and left. She ran down the hill to call for help. Her description, though, would actually turn out to be erroneous in every way. It was very off from the other descriptions. Which, like we talked about earlier, that that can cause issues. It, It can for sure. She thought that he was thin, athletic, and about 25 years old. So the woman that was stabbed was 23-year-old Barbara Schwartz. She was an organic bread maker. Ooh, I like that. Interesting. I want some organic bread right now. That does sound good. 
So she did have her golden retriever out with her that day, even though they weren't allowed. Um, yeah, and she knew she knew that it wasn't allowed, but she was scared to go out by herself that day. So yeah. she was nervous to go out that day alone because she had heard what happened to Ida Kane. So it was specifically Ida Kane's murder that okay. had her scared. That scared her. Yeah. Okay, so she did end up being stabbed to death. Yeah. She had put up quite a fight, though. They found a pair of bifocals near her body that didn't belong to her. Yeah, they they were pretty sure that they didn't belong to her, and at this point they were hoping that they belonged to her killer. Around 7.30 p.m. that day, and two counties away, so it's about 35 miles away, but it's actually separated by two counties. Mm Mm-hmm. David Carpenter checked into the emergency room. He had a deep wound on his right hand, and he claimed that he was injured trying to stop a robbery at a 7-Eleven. I'm guessing the dog wound before people were suspicious, and so he had to turn it into an actual knife wound. Well, why wouldn't you just be like, oh yeah, I was messing around with my friends and I cut my hand, or I was doing something, cutting something. I was trying to cut down a tree with my kitchen knife. I mean, I don't know. I feel like there are better excuses you could make. Yeah, well, because I feel like that's verifiable, right? Yeah, a robbery at 7-Eleven. He was bandaged up and even questioned by police. He was kept there until 11 p.m. before he was released. It is also important to note that there were no robberies that were reported that night in the area. But you got to remember, this is two counties over. Yeah, they... So that could be why the connection wasn't made. But I feel like stabbed-to-death murder happening on the same night that somebody shows up in an emergency room twice yeah should have thrown up a red flag i don't know though but but it's just it's just because he's crossing county lines yep, which we different know that agencies that, yeah, yeah that really it really can be like it, detrimental yeah, to a case it really yeah. can be so i'm curious to know if anyone connected Ida's missing glasses to the glasses found with Barbara. So I initially thought that as well because I'm like, oh, the last murder in the woods on Mount yeah. Tam, her glasses were missing and now they found a pair of glasses. Yeah, because serial killers. They, they, they tend to they, do that. They, yeah. they will take trophies. They will leave things, things like that. But the bifocals found with Barbara were prison issued bifocals. Oh, who's been in prison? Which got the police thinking, okay, maybe our suspect has been in prison. Okay. Totally logical and totally makes sense. We'll talk more about that later. Okay, but also the day after, David Carpenter walked into an optometrist looking for a new pair of glasses. (sighs) You guys, I can't. Looks like someone lost their prison-issued glasses. Someone lost their prison-issued glasses. So... Barbara's murder was not linked to Ida Kane initially because different murder weapons were used, but they're in the same location. And so a lot of people associated with this case, law enforcement, believe that the two cases were connected from the beginning, Mm -hmm. which I totally agree. So on October 13, 1980, Anna Alderson, who was 26 years old, she was really big on sunsets, you guys, and she enjoyed meditating. And remember on Mount Tam, there's that amphitheater area that theater area yeah so she was known to go there and meditate and watch the sunset so it was no surprise to her mom when she said she was going to stop by there on her way home before dinner and get in a meditation before she came home okay so normal thing for her. no it was a normal thing for her to do and remember the theater's not far from the parking lot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's right off it's in the open yeah right 
a man jogging at Mount Tam that night had actually seen Anne sitting on the steps of the amphitheater. So she did make it to the amphitheater. Dinner came and went, though, and Anne did not come home. And her family reported her missing. So the next day, park workers found a car matching the description in the trailhead parking lot. So Anne's car. Uh, literally, anytime I see, like, when we go to, uh, we've gone to hikes. Like, and early in the morning. Early in the morning, and there's, like, a car in the parking lot, and I'm like, okay, we got one. Because we... Cause so, we, we always, <laughs> when we go hiking, since I can remember as long as we've been hiking, mm-hmm. we'll count cars versus people, so... Yeah, so we, we got one up, up there. There's somebody ahead of us. We need yeah. to be watching out for one person. There's somebody in front of us. You know, so it kind of gives us, like, an idea. We also do this thing called uh, eyewitness where if we're walking and we pass, like, a group of people or we pass somebody randomly, somebody will say eyewitness. And everybody has to try to describe as many things as they can remember about that group or that person. Some of us are better than others. <laughs> some of us are better than others. Some of us, I think, some of us are a lot better I than others. I think the 11-year-old is my favorite because she goes... How am I supposed to remember that? <laughs> She's gotten better though. But so it's basically like a, hey, be aware, pay attention, yeah. you know, things like that. Where a lot of times, even the baby can identify how many people there were, or something like about what they were wearing, something. things like that. So we're I've gotten pretty good at it. Yeah, we're weird, but that's something that we do. But always aware of people but we we've, we've gotten to a parking lot before and there's been a car in the parking lot mm-hmm. and we do our entire hike and, and we, we never see, see anyone. anyone and we're like i'm like madison go take a picture of that car and that license plate and yeah. we've never done anything with that well, information yeah, but we, it's like we're like what if where is that person where, yeah where is that person what if they're missing a lot of times they're probably like backpacking or off camping trail off or... trail which you know people do but we always pay attention to those, like, abandoned cars in parking lots on hikes. Yeah, I feel like we're just very aware of people on hikes as well. And we're, and we're more paranoid or something. I don't know. That might be it. I'm yeah. not sure. And in the trunk of her car was her purse with her ID and her hiking boots and socks were still there. They started a search party. And about 88 people searched all day and only stopped when it got dark. So they spent all day looking for her and found nothing. So around 2.30 p.m. the next day, Anne was found. She Mm. was less than a quarter of a mile from the theater. She wasn't far, but that tells you guys how dense these woods can be where she was less than a quarter mile from probably where they started their search and it took them until the next afternoon to find her. It was also less than half a mile from where Ida Kane was found. Don't like that. She was fully clothed and laying just off the trail. She had a single bullet wound to her head. So a little different. She's also fully clothed, but she had been raped. Which means he had her redress herself. Or he redressed her, which I, I think it the appearance was that she redressed herself. Like, there's kind of a drastic difference between... Yeah, between someone... Putting yeah. their own clothes on and somebody else putting their clothes on. It's usually very evident when somebody has been redressed rather than they put their clothes back on so that's very strange um they did find semen in her underwear and take samples of that she had also been on her knees when she was shot i hate that hate that hate that so much Mm. a 38 caliber gun was the murder weapon 
And her right earring was missing. So either he had taken her earring or she lost it in a struggle. Right. My guess is that he took it. And and I only say that because there were items missing with previous victims. So I feel like he is probably taking trophies. Yep. So she had been posed on a rock? Yeah. So we see this a lot in in these murders where the body is, it's said to be posed. Now, I haven't seen a lot of information about how or what made them posed. I'm going to guess that it just appears that he had moved them. Exactly. But there's not a lot of information about what that looks like. Mm -hmm. But we do see that over and over that he posed bodies, that this was something that this killer did. So... I don't know if that's a tidbit that they kept out of the media in order to have that information later. I mean, I really don't know, but this is the only one that it actually says that she was like posed on a rock. So I don't know if she's leaning on a rock. I don't know what's going on, but she was posed according to reports. Interesting. Okay. So Ida and Barbara had both been killed on the weekend and Anne was killed on a Monday, but it it was was Columbus Columbus Day. So... Still a day you'd have off. Yep. So kind of kind of indicating that this killer might have a regular nine to five job or might have something that he is responsible for doing mm-hmm. during the week. Um or he's just looking for more victim opportunity, yeah, which would come would on the good. weekend. Yeah. Yep. But it's also more crowded on the weekend, so I feel like your chances of being spotted or having an eyewitness would be higher. I'm gonna guess it just has something to do with more if he works. Who knows? You know, who yeah. Knows? I don't know when he fills his keychain stands. At this point, police were sure that they had a serial killer on their hands. Yeah. T- I mean, this took is long enough, weird. guys. I think this is I think this is when cuz they I think they assumed they had one, but I think this is when they officially started yeah. saying we have a serial killer on our hands. The next day, two bodies were found in a home near the base of the mountain. And this is on October 16th. Okay, so this is crazy, right? So they Two days later, they find two dead bodies in a house at the base of Mount Tam. So they're like, well, this has to be connected, right? Why Why would there be two more bodies on this mountain? Yeah. It, it's funny, though, because they are absolutely not connected to the trailside killer. Yeah, because I would think, oh, maybe he was hiding out there. Maybe yeah, the yeah, killer, yeah. these people saw something. But it was actually... Mark McDermott, which is a totally different crazy case, you guys. But he was a cook at Denny's by day and a struggling writer by night. He finally snapped one day and murdered his elderly mother and his mentally ill brother who had schizophrenia. And I think his mom also had traces of schizophrenia. And I'm guessing maybe he does too at this point. He murdered them and then he went on the lam. He took credit almost immediately. He actually wrote a letter to the local newspaper He agreed to turn himself in on the 27th. So, like we said earlier, this was completely unrelated. Right, just a crazy, weird coincidence. I mean... a quinkydink. (laughs) A quinkydink? You never heard that before? No. What the hell is a quinkydink? It's a coincidence. It's just... Never mind. No, I don't like it. I don't like it. You cannot like it. Please don't ever say that again. Quinkydink? You've never heard that before? No, I don't like it. Now, with this crazy... Like, it got... Like, you know, it got solved. He turned himself in. It was over with the police could focus on their serial killer that they had 
Yep, so back to, I mean, they probably diverted a lot of resources into this these additional murders, thinking that they were connected. On November 28, Diane O'Connell went hiking with her two friends, Nancy and Sharon. So we got a group that's safe, right? They went hiking at Point Reyes. This is in the same county, but it's a different mountain. So this is a different trail. It's further away. There hasn't been murders on this trail. There were police on that. There's a group of people, like, probably feels pretty safe. So they started on their hike, and about halfway up, they realized that they were all at different skill levels when it came to hiking. And this is very common. I hike with a lot of different people. Well, not anymore, because I'm really picky now. But I have hiked with a lot of different people. And when you're with a group that has different skill levels... people will tend to, you know, kind of go at their own pace. However, when we hike, we do not ever, we will hike slower if we have to. Yeah. No splitting up. I just We will hike faster if we have to. Uh, Whatever it takes to stay with the group that we're with. I don't think we've ever had to hike faster. We've never had to hike faster. (laughs) This group of friends did not do that. So Sharon took the lead, Nancy was last, and Diane was in the middle. So you guys, they split up. So they're like, hey, so we're obviously going at different speeds. Why don't we plan on meeting at the top? And when we get there, we get there. No, no, don't do that. Don't split up. I can't. So they agreed to wait for each other. At 3 p.m., Sharon gets to the meeting point and she waits. So Sharon's the one that was in the front. Mm -hmm. So she's the first one, right? Then she sees Nancy, who was in the back. So Diane has not reached their meeting point yet. So theoretically, Uh, she should have been the safest because she was in the middle. That's what I think, too. I would have felt like I was the safest person in this group if I'm in the middle. Okay, so now Sharon's at the top. Nancy's at the top. But where in the heck is Diane? She should have been the safest. Like we said, she was in the middle. They quickly discovered that Nancy did not pass her and that something was terribly wrong. So Nancy gets to the top and she's like, where's Diane? And she's like, I didn't pass her. She wasn't on the trail. They decide to walk the trail one more time before panicking. Right? So they're like, maybe she stepped off to use the bathroom. Maybe she twisted an ankle. Like, we don't know. Maybe. Yeah. You know, maybe Nancy is just not paying attention. I mean, you just don't know. So at 5 p.m., they went to the ranger station to report her missing. They didn't know what else to do. They couldn't find her. Shortly after that, another woman comes into the ranger station. Her name was Margaret Johnson. She reports that her friend Shauna May is missing. So that's two missing. So now we have two missing women on the same trail. Can you even imagine on the being, same day? Like being in the ranger station? No, being this ranger. Yeah. I'd be like, uh. After hearing her description, Sharon realizes that she has seen her on the trail. Sharon hears the description of Shauna, the missing yeah. girl. And she's like, I saw her. She passed me on the trail. So Nancy's going up and she sees Shauna coming down. Yes, this was before Diane went missing. Right, so this is while she's hiking. She had seen Shauna pass her. And then they realized that Shauna never passed Nancy. Nancy's like, I didn't see anybody 
when I was hiking. You guys, what the actual heck? Now we have two women missing and they went missing at the same time in a very short span. Right? Because that's not a lot of time. No, no, no. So this would give them a good general area to search. Right, because it's a very small Small section that these two women went missing in. Yeah. So Sharon can show them where she passed Shauna Mm -hmm. and then track back to where Nancy would have been. And then that's that's your search area. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so this probably means that the two girls went missing at the same time. And then, I would think so. Yeah, I would think that he just took them both at the same time. Or took one of them and then the other one happened along, unfortunately, at the same time. So on November 29 at 1.30 p.m., a volunteer searcher. So keep this in mind, you guys. At this point, everybody's searching, hopefully, just for two missing hikers, right? Like this is not Mount Tam. They haven't had murders here. Maybe they're jumping to that conclusion, but initially they are just looking for two lost hikers. So this volunteer searcher stumbles upon two bodies in the woods. He stumbles upon these two bodies and they were so badly decomposed that he couldn't tell what sex they were. But this is only 24 hours after the girls went missing. Yeah, guys. So he radios in saying, I found something, but it's not what we're looking for. But somebody should probably get out here. These two bodies were laying face down. They were clothed. One was male and one was female. And they were both shot in the back of the head. Yeah. So the searcher who found them, he kind of walks away from the scene to clear his head. And when he does this, he stumbles on two more bodies. Oh my you God. guys. The counseling this person has to I can't, I can't even imagine. So these are the two bodies of Diane and Shauna. They found them. They are both naked and laying face down and one kind of has her arm draped on the other like they're like touching each other could this be posing i i I don't know i i I tend to think that it probably was just because we know that he likes to pose the Mm -hmm. bodies their clothes were neatly folded nearby along with their backpacks so some hikers reported hearing gunshots that day which i don't even think if we heard gunshots i don't think i would report them No, we've talked about this before, like, unless we knew something happened, because a lot of people do go into the woods to target practice. Yeah. Um, Well, especially out where we go hiking and stuff. Yeah, I think we talked about it when we did the Pinnacle Lake murders. Yes. Like, episode two, because people did hear gunshots, and they didn't think anything of it, and we don't think that's that unusual, but I think once you hear that somebody was murdered, you're like, Then it changes. Oh, yeah. Diane was patine blonde, but it kind of looks like that there wasn't really like a like a type yeah so i'm not sure that he targeted her specifically but she was petite and she was smaller probably easier to control and may have been his type we don't really know we don't really know because there's not photos of all his victims out there because this was this was in the 70s yeah that's true a while ago but based on the way that things transpired they do think that diane might have been the actual or the initial target yeah so they think that Shauna may have just, like, come upon the assault. Yeah, maybe heard Diane scream, maybe heard a scuffle, maybe just kind of walked past at the exact time that he decided to grab her. Uh, it could have just been really bad timing. Yeah, so Shauna was tied up with piano wire. Yeah, which he had to have taken with him, which he's never used any kind of... But yeah. maybe he always has it, just in case. 
Yeah, I mean, so I don't know. he likely had them at the same time, it seems like, since he tied mm-hmm. Shauna up. He, initially, he probably got that control by using the yeah. gun or the fear of the gun. This part, warning, is kind of hard to hear. Yeah. So Diana had been strangled and shot twice in the head. Yep. And I think this is the first strangulation that we've seen. Yes, it is. She had underwear stuffed in her mouth. Oh. And I, that, I don't like that. I don't like that. That makes me really mad. Makes me want to punch David Carpenter in the face. Shauna had been shot in the eye, and then he had shot her two more times. Part of the theory is that maybe he was mad at Shauna for interrupting his initial plans because he did seem to take out more anger or, like, he handled her differently than he did Diane. Because he's all about control. I also think my theory is that Shauna fought him more than Diane did. Like, I don't think he necessarily was mad at her for interrupting if that's even what happened but if shauna fought him more Mm -hmm. because she was the one that was tied up yeah if she had fought him more or been defiant where diane had been compliant trying to you know two there's two different routes you can take right you can either fight or you can yeah so my theory is is that he felt like he didn't have the control over shauna and that's why he was mad at Mm -hmm. her that's my theory but i mean we weren't there so a 38 caliber was used. Ballistics on the bullets used to kill Diane and Shauna were matched to the same weapon that was used to kill Ann Alderson. This case is a hard one. This is a hard one. Hang in there, guys. This is difficult. This is a rough one. Yeah. This is one of the ones that does make me, like... Nervous to hike? Yeah. Scared? I actually... It's funny. So this week we went backpacking, mm-hmm. which we'll post pictures of. But it was our first time... With the younger kids. With the younger kids. It was our first time sleeping in the woods since we started our podcast. Yeah. I was a little afraid. I'm not I gotta lie. tell you, I did not sleep super well. I was laying in my hammock and I was like, okay, I can't see anything. I can't see. Well, and you guys, we, we backpack and hike all the time. Like, this is not unusual for us, but it was literally the first time we had done it. And you know what I kept thinking about? I kept thinking about the Appalachian Trail murder. Yeah. I kept thinking about how around midnight, these people were accosted in their campsite while they were sleeping. So I'm looking out my, my tent, right? And it's completely dark, right? Yeah, no, I and stuck I'm my like, head out my hammock and I was like, it is pitch black. But I was thinking like, they couldn't even see. Like, it's dark. Like, it brought like a whole new terror of what... I imagined they felt like in that moment because I mean I'm I'm scared anyway when I hike or when I'm with my kids because I'm the person that has to protect them, right? Yeah. When I'm by myself, I'm a lot less fearful, I think, of or not by myself, but when I'm when I'm not with my children, I'm less fearful about something happening to me out there. But when I'm with my kids, it brings like a whole new yeah terror for me. Well, it's like, it's cases like this where I like, since I know these things, I'm like, because I have my friends that they like, they want to go backpacking with me and they want to go do things. I'm like, no, Madison, you can't well, backpack with your friends. Well, I'm like my own self. I'm like, like me and my best friend want to go on a backpacking trip, but I'm like, dude, we're either bringing my mom or we're bringing guys with us. Like, I'm not just going like me and you on a backpacking trip. Like, I'm not going to like. Yeah. No. No, I'm not okay with that either. No, like maybe like a hike, like a day hike, that's fine. But like, like yeah. I'm like, okay, we either have to put a group together or we got to bring my mom because my yeah. mom has a gun. <laughs> so 
Just saying. That's what I think about when I plan my backpacking trips. I wonder what Madison's friends all think about her being like, yeah, let's bring my mom. Like, because I've hiked with Madison and her friends oh, before. Oh, yeah, my mom. I hiked with my friends all the time. I wonder if they're like, this is weird. They never seem weirded out by it. But no. I wonder if they're like, she wants to bring her mom. Anyway, I think we just needed a little break from... I needed All the doom break. and the gloom. I needed a mental break. Yeah, so we're not trying to get sidetracked, guys. We just know this is a hard one, and we know that, like, it's tough, so. Yeah. Okay, back to it. Here we go. Okay. A brown Toyota Corolla was found in the parking lot. Police processed it immediately. So it had appeared to be abandoned. It didn't help them find the killer. No, it didn't. But it did actually help them identify the other two bodies. Which means this car had been in the parking lot for a while. I cannot. The first two bodies that they found, the ones that were decomposed, that had been there for a while, ended up being the bodies of Richard Stowers and Cynthia Moreland. They were a young couple. After Richard had graduated from the Coast Guard, they decided to go hiking. They went to Point Reyes. They had been reported missing six weeks earlier, uh, but their disappearance was treated as that, as a missing person. They actually thought that maybe they took off or something. And the Coast Guard even put a warrant out for his arrest for going AWOL. Because I'm sure they didn't tell anyone where they were going. So I think nobody knew that they were going hiking that day. So they didn't know to look for them. But it makes me really sad that the entire time that this poor couple is missing, people think they just took off. Like it's not being treated as a murder. It's not being treated as suspicious. Like... Or it's just being treated as like an average missing persons case. Yeah. So that would be the weekend before Anne was killed on Mount Tam. Yeah, that they had gone missing. And they had also both been shot with a thirty-eight caliber pistol. So at this point, an FBI profiler named Douglas Wrights did some work on the case. So this is back in the day where they don't have entire teams of profilers. It's not yeah. like criminal minds. You gotta right? remember that this is like the 80s. Yeah. He actually profiled that the killer would be familiar with the area. So a local. He would be shy, reclusive, and may even have a speech impediment. Crazy. You guys. That's nuts. So he actually got a lot of like pushback on this because authorities thought that it was too specific So this was contrary to what other psychologists had decided that they thought the offender would be. So they thought he would be charming and sophisticated and good looking. Mm -mm, Got that one wrong. But Douglas disagreed. He thought that he would be unsure of himself and he would choose victims of opportunity. He would be white, intelligent, blue collared and would have spent time in jail. Mm -hmm. It's crazy what profiles like profilers can do it's insane it is really crazy but there was a lot of skepticism around this yeah well and i can understand the skepticism especially because this is early on but i think that what douglas was probably getting at here was the way that he seemed to attack his victims right so Mm -hmm. he's almost blitz attacking them yeah right so he's grabbing them probably from behind he's attacking them in the moment he's following them while they're running in the park, like whatever that looks like. So he's thinking there's something about himself where he knows he wouldn't be able to charm or lure these women. Yeah, because like if you are like charming, sophisticated, good Right, you might handle it differently. Yeah, you could probably lure these young women. 
Well, not only that, but he thought the reason he thought that maybe he had a speech impediment or something like that is that he assumed that David would have something that he was so uncomfortable or insecure about that he would not approach these women in a normal setting, which is why he needed the woods and the trail. So on December 28th, 1980, Kelly McGaver, I think. Yeah. That's how I pronounce it. That's a tough one. Um, She goes missing. So she's a teller at a bank. And guess who goes to her bank? David. David. So she had given out keychains as Christmas gifts to all her coworkers. And they just happened to be the same keychains that David's work sold. So on March 27, 1981, Ellen Hansen and her boyfriend, Stephen Hartle, both students at the University of California, they decided to go camping and hiking at Henry Cowell Redwood State Park. While they were out hiking, they were confronted by a man with a gun. He said that he only wanted to rape Ellen. So he's telling them, I just want to rape her. That's it. So not okay. Not okay. Ellen actually said, he's going to kill us anyway. No. Because he wanted to take them off the trail. And she was like, no, we're not doing that. I mean, she's she's probably right. He was probably going to kill them either way. I'm sure. So I mean, at this point, he hasn't left any survivors. Right, since he got out of jail. So, I mean... This is the choice that, that people have to make, right? Like, when is it safer to comply? When is it safer to fight? I mean, I don't think with David there was a safe way to do anything. I think that she was going to lose her life no matter what she did that day. So Ellen was shot multiple times in the head and she was killed. Stephen was shot in the neck, but he managed to survive. Which is crazy, you guys. I mean, I, I can't even imagine... And, and he freaking rocks being a witness. Yeah. He was able to give investigators a description of a 40 to 50 year old, dark haired, hazel eyes. He even mentioned that the killer had crooked teeth. Which is a good detail to remember. I mean, that's I pretty like crazy. I, I feel like I always look at people's teeth. I do, I'm looking at your teeth right now while you're talking. Yeah. In the case of the trailside killer... This is the first known survivor. Yes. So other witnesses were able to identify a red boxy car the man had fled in. Also crazy, there was a Santa Cruz police detective and his son hiking the trails that day. It was his day off. So after he'd heard shots fired and gone into detective mode, he did end up finding Ellen's body right off the trail. A composite was made from Stephen's account, which is awesome. Yeah, he actually did a really good job with this. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll post a picture of the composite drawing yeah. that came from this. Uh, but they released it to the public. And then a woman called in and described this man named David Carpenter that she had encountered on a cruise while sailing to Japan. So if you guys remember correctly from our first episode, David worked as a purser. On a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. She said that he was a purser and had harassed her daughter. She recalled him having a severe stutter and said that he had even signed his name in a book that belonged to her daughter. Right. So it's not like she's like, this is his name. I have it written in this book. I know this is his name. Which is crazy that this 
but all these years later, she's like, I know that guy. Yeah. And that, that remember she complained to the captain on the ship, like that memory or that situation stuck in her mind so much because she was so bothered by it that she was able to recall years later. That's him. A long time later. Yeah. Well, I feel like that if a 28-year-old man hit on my 14-year-old daughter, I would also <laughs> remember it. Well, I mean, but I, I think it's it's more than that. I think yeah. that something was so wrong about him something at that time. Something rubbed her the wrong way so bad. Yeah, for sure. So police looked into David Carpenter, but there were many of them in the area. Okay, how many? Like, I want to know how many David Carpenters are in this area and how many of them have a prior record record someone tell me Mm. i need answers because Mm. on may 2nd 1981 heather skaggs who is 20 years old disappears now i think this is kind of sloppy on on david's part i kind of think this is like his undoing is that david is scrambling he they're on to him well, like, I, I think he had to change things up a little bit because they were on yeah. him, right? Like, the teller at the bank goes missing. Like, the, he he isn't successful in his last attack. Like, it goes terribly wrong. Yeah. His picture is now plastered everywhere. People are being really careful on trails. I think that he's desperate, Yeah, would be my guess. So, she had told her boyfriend and her mother that she was going to see a co-worker about buying a car from a friend of his. And this co-worker's name was David Carpenter. The co-worker had told her not to tell anyone where she was going. And he had, the ruse had been that the seller of the car was really secretive and wouldn't want anybody to know that she was looking at the car, which sounds crazy. And I'm really glad that she didn't listen and that she did tell people where she was going. And she even like kind of joked around like, oh, if I don't come back, you'll know. Like, oh. I can't. So when she didn't return, her boyfriend immediately accused David Carpenter. Yep. He even went to his house to confront him face to face. Yeah, which I think is amazing and crazy. Crazy. That now, like, you've got somebody showing up on your doorstep accusing you of t- kidnapping or murder or whatever at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. But he was like, uh uh-uh, uh, I know that you had something to do with it. So David Carpenter actually tells the boyfriend and police that he was supposed to meet up with her that day, but he ended up having car trouble and couldn't make it. So investigators showed up at his work and they asked his employer questions. They also asked what cars David drove Mm -hmm. or had access to. And one of these cars was a boxy red car. So when investigators questioned him, he claimed that he had never met with Heather that his car broke down, and he even had a receipt from an auto shop. When they asked him what cars he drove or had access to, and he omitted the red car, they noticed that he matched the eyewitness description in their serial killer case. So they're they're showing up, right? There's a missing girl. This guy has access to a red boxy car, and he suspiciously looks like the sketch that they have in their case, right? And they've already had the woman call in saying... That guy looks like David Carpenter. And now they have a David Carpenter. He even told police, this makes me really mad. He even said to police that he really hoped no one 
would find her body and that she hadn't been raped. He hopes she hadn't been raped. What yeah. a disgusting thing. He's her. disgusting. He was very like forceful about the fact that he had nothing to do with it. He had alibis. He had timelines written down. He's like, nope, I didn't have anything to do with this. Fun fact. Disturbing fact. Disgusting fact. I don't even know. Makes me mad fact. David actually went to the ballet on the same day that Heather was murdered. Yeah, just like, gonna go to the ballet. All of this brought David to the top of their suspect list. Like it should. Like it should. And he had never been on their radar before. (laughs) You guys, partially, that was due to a clerical error. When he was released from prison, he didn't show up on their previously their convict list that they had searched yeah, for. Yeah, like he was literally not a registered sex offender. Yep, so he because wasn't... Because of an error. Yep, so he wasn't in the system as a registered sex offender, and he wasn't, like his name didn't come up when they searched for known offenders of violent crimes in the area because of a clerical error. I really think that if they had been able to identify him early on in this case, I mean, it could have made... A huge huge difference. difference. Yeah. He was immediately put under surveillance. So on May 15th, 1982. Wait, you guys. It's May 15th right now. Oh my God. When we're recording this, it's May 15th. (laughs) That's crazy. Anyway, so. Anyway. On May 15th, 1982. David Carpenter was arrested. Yes. He was submissive and put up no fight. Yeah. Not surprising. He had no control. He knew he didn't have control of the yeah, situation. Knew, I think he knew it was over. So he evoked his right to silence and asked for an attorney. And yeah. he never even spoke to police. Except for I did hear that at one point he said, please don't hurt me when they were arresting well, him. in the first episode, what he was most afraid of in prison was, was getting, getting raped. raped. Yeah, so it, it goes to show that like he, if he's not controlling or dominating, he's, he's fearful. Yeah, he's just... A weak little man. In David's car, they found books about local hiking trails, Mm. along with many maps in his home. Yeah, like over 60 of them. So, nine days later, in Big Basin Redwood State Park, two hikers came across a body. It was Heather. She had finally been found. She was in a very shallow grave, and the ballistics matched the weapon used to the same gun used on Stephen Hurdle and Ellen Hansen. Sorry if we're saying any of those names wrong. His semen was also found on her body. Mm. Stephen was able to positively identify David. Yep. Good job, Stephen. I like this guy. A short time later, a suspect in a robbery admitted that David Carpenter had sold him a 38 revolver back in June. They were able to recover this gun that was buried in the ground on the side of the road. The weapon recovered had matched the bullets that killed Ellen Hansen, Heather Skaggs, and also wounded Steve Hartle. Going back to June 4, 1980, so Anna Mangivis had been discovered dead in Mount Tam State Park. Her murder had not been connected to Carpenter at the time. Why? But now investigators discovered that she was a longtime friend of David's and she had let him drive her home from work sometimes. I don't know why this one wasn't connected. Why was she not connected? I don't understand. And why now are they able to connect her later? Maybe. Something? Maybe. Or because she was an acquaintance of his? But it's a dead person on Mount Tam. That, that's kind of a weird one to me. And that 
we we found that in some places, but she's not mentioned really in other places. Yeah. There is an Anne, the Anne from earlier, but this is a different Anne. This yeah. is Anna. So kind of strange that that one was Yeah, connected. and this connection seems too strong to be a coincidence. Like, yeah, yeah there's no way Like, he knew her. Yeah. So her name was added to the murder list, and this brought his count up to 10. 10 and this is known. Just, yeah, so not only is this just 10 known people, but these are just the people that he had murdered, not people that he had attacked or done anything else to. Well, and not only that, but I mean, he attacked a woman running in a park with a knife. He used different weapons. Like, I feel like there could be more murders that out there connected con- to him well, that he, they just haven't made that connection. He crossed county lines to mm-hmm. go to the hospital. I'm sure he crossed county lines to do murders. I totally agree. So now we move on to the trial. So there would be two trials, the guilt phase and the sentencing phase. Right. So each phase of the trial would have its own jury. But to save time, both juries would sit through the guilt phase in order to avoid repeating that information. The time spent choosing jurors was almost as long as the entire trial itself. So that took a significant amount of time. As you can imagine, the trials were very long and very complicated. We have a lot of moving pieces in these trials. So during his trial, he seemed to show empathy and even shed a few tears. Fake. Psychopath. Fake. Psychopath. Totally fake. He maintains that he's innocent and has even created a timeline proving his innocence. Yeah, he kind of harps on this timeline a lot. Like... This proves I'm innocent. Look, guys, I have a timeline of my whereabouts. He's crazy. I guess he, he really just has nothing else to latch on to. By the way, his DNA was a positive match. Hmm. He claimed that he was convicted in the press long before he made it to court. Right, and we do see that a lot where the press kind of convicts people before they even get to trial. Yeah. But this is not one of those circumstantial cases where they're jumping to conclusions. Seven years after he was arrested on July 6, 1984, he was found guilty of the Skaggs and Hansen murders. He was sentenced to death by gas chamber just for those two. On May 10, 1988, a San Diego jury convicted Carpenter of first-degree murder for Richard Stowers, Cynthia Moreland, Shauna May, Diana O'Connell, and Anne Alderson. He was also found guilty of raping two and attempting to rape a third. When asked what he hopes happens to the, the, the real, real trailside killer. Because he's still saying he's innocent, right? When they are found, he replies, I hope they get a fair trial. He kind of clings on to this claim that he's not getting a fair trial. And part of that is because the press convicted him long before his trial. He's currently on death row at San Quentin Prison in California. He is the oldest death row inmate in California. Yep. Uh, He'll most likely die of old age long before he's executed. There are over 700 inmates on death row in California, and the last state-sanctioned execution in California was in 2006. So, yes, they have the death penalty, but... No, they're not really putting people to death right now. So I'm not sure what that's about. Although 60 prisoners on death row have died from natural causes, over 20 have committed suicide. That's more than they've actually executed, which has only been 13. 
So more people on death row have committed suicide than have actually been put to death. And we're not saying we're for or against the death penalty. No. You know, our opinion is irrelevant in the situation. But I do find it interesting that states have the death penalty, but really aren't taking an active role in that. I feel like the only state that really takes action with the death penalty is Florida. Very loose with the death penalty. Florida's a little loose with the death penalty, yeah. So, yeah, that was the case of the Trailside Killer, you guys. Um, There's a lot of great uh, resources out there if you want to learn more about this case. There's even more information than what we brought to you guys. there's There's a crazy amount of information on this case out there. So the book is called The Sleeping Lady, The Trailside Murders Above the Golden Gate, and it's by Robert Graysmith. That's a great book. There's a lot of good resources in there. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of resources out there if you want to learn more about the Trailside Killer. I was actually really surprised. I had never heard of this killer. No, I didn't either. I I thought it was crazy when, like we said before, it was a listener recommendation. Somebody recommended it, and I looked it up, and I was like... There's what? so much information. Yeah. Because usually, no usually like time is spent digging for information. But this one, it was like... And there was a ton of information. It was great. So uh, keep sending us your recommendations. We love them. Especially if you can find recommendations that have a lot of information out there. <laughs> um, thank you for listening to this one. I know it was a hard one to listen to. It was a long one. This episode's a little long. Um, so we apologize for that. But crazy story thanks for tuning in thanks for sharing us on your stories thanks for listening thanks for telling your friends about us we if you know anyone in hawaii or alaska please tell them to listen because i really just want to cross off the whole united states and i can't do that yeah we have a bunch of new listeners uh we really really appreciate all of you guys you're great Also, we're going to end this episode with a little interruption that we had from Phoenix during recording. So enjoy that. Hopefully it will get the ickiness of David Carpenter out of your mind. So have a great week, guys, and we'll talk to you later. And here you go. Did you know that we're recording? Yes. Well, then what are you doing in here? Would you like to tell our listeners about your backpacking trip? Your first backpacking trip? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. Okay, so go ahead. Okay, so this is... I'm going to tell you about my first backpacking trip with Mommy and Maddie and Lulu and Cody. Okay. And Daddy and Jordan wasn't there, but... It was pretty fun. We had a hot chocolate and Pop-Tarts and Capri-Sins. And it was really fun. And we had kids' granola balls, too. I loved them. Kids' granola bars? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what was your favorite part about actually camping? Was it the campsite or sleeping or... It was the camps, the whole thing, the campsite. Yeah? What did you like about the campsite? Okay, so, well... My favorite part was everything but sleeping because I wanted to, like, have fun, so, the whole time. We found a sweater on the hike that had a peace sign on it. A yellow sweater? Yeah, a yellow sweater, And did you put that yellow sweater on that we found on the trail? Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. I earned it, anyway. You earned it? Did you get a dollar for putting it on? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Anyway. 
Sunday. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, say bye to our listeners. Can you say bye? Bye. All right. Bye.